I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson, dressed like Sam, but with a little mustache. Mm. Yeah, I didn't, you know, I, if you you're going to shave down, yeah, if you're going to shave the beard completely, it's going to be grown back. This was a once in a probably lifetime opportunity to see what it's like to be Austin Gale. I've never had a solo <laughs> mustache before. I've, I've, it's always struck me as a ridiculous look. It is a ridiculous look, as I'm proving right now, but, you know, I'm not going to be doing it bef- again, so... Stick with it. Why I'd not say. roll with it for a couple of days? Stick with it all, all the way through Movember. Uh, we got a great show for everybody here. Great show. If you tell everybody it's going to be a great show, they actually believe it's going to be a great show. It's a really important part. Power of positivity. What's yeah. that, uh, the, you know, speak it into existence thing? The yeah. thing that Conor McGregor's a big fan of? Just, you know, say it and it'll happen. Well, it's going to be a great it's show. It's going to be a great show, Steve. And people are going to believe it because we're talking power rankings, which everybody loves. We'll do preseason power rankings. Uh, we'll get into the Carson Wentz stuff. He's injured. We'll see what happens with the Colts and actually how that affects their power rankings. And we'll go through some of the training camp buzz and all that, all that fun stuff. So um, it's August, Sam, which means right now, recording on Monday morning, August 2nd, it's game week. Yeah. We have a Hall of Fame game this Hall Thursday of Fame night. Game. Yeah, so football is going to actually happen. So we have, uh, if you guys don't know the schedule, Hall of Fame game is this Thursday night. And then next week, we have a full slate of preseason games, Thursday through Sunday. Remember through last Monday. week, or remember last year, everyone was sort of like, well, what's the no preseason going to mean for regular season action? Is the football going to be worse? Is everything going to look terrible for the first month? And then it's like, actually, preseason might not make one damn bit of difference at all to the regular season. It sort of feels like the Hall of Fame game is like an indictment for the same thing for training camp it's like how bad would it be if you just like got them in the building said here's what we're doing here are the plays go out and see how it goes because that's basically what happens for the hall of fame game those guys have been yeah running plays for like a week i don't i don't want to throw a wet blanket on the excitement of preseason sam because okay. we do have three weeks where we're probably going to find some sort of like backup safety and overhype him as like a key <laughs> player before he gets cut the last week i mean that is a Rite of passage here on the PFF NFL podcast. Look at this steal, 90-plus grade here in the preseason, and then it gets cut the last week. So yeah. we'll do that. It'll happen, right? Uh, but, yes, perhaps perhaps the training camp reps. Actually, because you can get so many more reps for your starters on those extra practice days, maybe the training camp aspect of it or just practice aspect of it is better for the football. Because in a game week... You've got, say you have a Thursday night game, Wednesday's going to, you're going to treat it like a walkthrough in the whole thing, and your starters aren't going to do a whole lot for all the preseason games. Maybe your starters are actually going to get more reps with no preseason games. Preseason and training camp is all about confirmation bias and confirming your priors, essentially. Like, you can find, go back in history, you will find, like, hype articles written about a ton of players 
that sucked and didn't pan out and weren't any better that year than they were the year before. We're We've written some of them. Up. Absolutely. And then you'll find a bunch where, you know, actually this did pan out, right? The Dak Prescott's of the world. Hey, Dak Prescott, this rookie from the fourth round is looking amazing. And then, you know, starts is the new quarterback of the future in Dallas. So it, it, it basically, it has no bearing whatsoever on whether it or is actually going to happen that way. But if you liked a guy, it's great because now you're like, yeah, hey, see, I told you. And I, if I you think, didn't, it does, you just ignore those articles. I think that, look, it's not completely, you know, unnecessary, but I think the preseason games do lead to a couple of players. It gives a couple of players time to shine, like Victor Cruz years ago i remember victor cruz had that incredible breakout like where did this dude come from undrafted free agent from umass and he became the giants number two receiver for several years and w was really really good so there are a few players that kind of show up uh, but for the most part i think you either have a massive body of work for what a guy did previously and generally he's going to be a similar player or you know you just or just you just 30 snaps here and 50 snaps there doesn't really move the needle. Yeah, so. I mean, I think that's the thing, though. It's it's all confirmation bias like you can and selection bias. You can look at the Victor Cruz in the world and say, hey, we saw this because of preseason and preseason was what propelled him. On the other hand, there's a bunch of guys that had amazing preseasons like Victor Cruz who nobody picked up and were cut the next day and maybe bummed around on a practice squad and never became Victor Cruz. So I don't know that the preseason actually does a whole lot for those guys, but you remember the cases when it pans out because you know it did start in preseason i think ultimately what preseason does is give everybody the opportunity to at least put some tape out there at the nfl level or at least something approximating the nfl level whether or not it results in you getting picked up <clears throat> you getting picked up by that team or picked up by another team you've at least got some reps nfl reps on tape which is you know it's different and a, probably a slight step up to whatever college tape you had and it can't hurt, is what I'm saying, if you play well in preseason. Look at Dak. Dak was incredible in preseason. All right, we'll, we'll talk about preseason plenty. So um, broad plan here. Uh, today, we'll still hit up the NFL News. We'll do the power ranking show. And then Thursday, you want to get into the team previews? Sure. Okay. We'll get into some team previews. We're going to go division by division. You know how we like to give every team the love that they deserve. So we'll probably go two, two teams per show. Um, two divisions per show, not two teams. That'd be a, that'd be sixteen shows, Sam. Yeah. Uh, two divisions per show. We'll go long form, and we'll give you your your ultimate season preview. By the way, we need to start the new um, charity drive now. Two point oh. We do. Was the Sam dressed up as minor league Steve show. We raised seventeen hundred dollars for the Make a Wish Foundation. I dress like an idiot. And now have the lingering after effects of this mustache. If you didn't see the YouTube show, go check it out. Our last podcast. Yes minor league sam my favorite Steve. comment on that was you know i didn't think that this bit was going to be funny like we've been hyping it up and ultimately it sounded like it was going to be kind of stupid just sam dressed in steve stuff doesn't doesn't sound that great when it's you, better when than you, i thought yeah yeah and this guy was like but it, it really was better and every time i looked at sam started laughing <clears throat> that's what we were going for that's what we hit so anyway 2.0 is done charity money has been i don't even i try to work out with the gofundme stuff how you actually send the money how you finish it i don't know that you do i think it's just automatic if anyone knows different let me know because i think the money is done <clears throat> anyway we need version 3.0 which is back to being you did we settle on the josh allen thing what does the josh allen thing look like i think it involves you dressing up as josh allen signing the apology form 
live on the show. Regardless, by the way, of how he plays <laughs> to start the season, I'd still apologize. He could, <laughs> Absolutely, he could yeah. Throw, he could throw twelve picks in three weeks, yep. and I'd still be apologizing. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Funnier, my, frankly. Here was my thought. My thought was, I will wear a Josh Allen jersey. Yes. For as long. No. 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 Because this because this could be this could be season long. My idea was as long as he has a rolling. 90 PFF grade. So as long as the last 16 or so games, like whatever we decide, as long as his last 16 games, he is an elite player. He is a 90-plus grade. I will wear the jersey for as long as that is the case. It could be a lower threshold if you're 88, whatever you think. No, I think you just put on the jersey. I'm just trying to make my wardrobe options simpler. And have to sign the apology form. Apologize to Bill's Mafia in written form on the show whilst whilst showing your allegiance to Josh Allen with his jersey. There was also a request for a table bump. A what? A table bump. Like a Bills like jump through the table. That's called a table bump? Yeah, yeah. A wrestling move is a it's called a bump. But you, bump. it's it seems it's bump. called a bump. Bump feels an undersell for what that is. Okay. So there was a request to jump through a table, Bills yeah. Mafia style. This table would hurt jumping through. I didn't say this table. You'd have to get you get a gimmick table. Yes. You get one that's you know not only would it hurt, but I imagine this is quite expensive. Yeah, I wouldn't jump through this table. Yeah. So don't. This would be bad. We would get a In gimmick particular, table. Regardless of whether you make it through like the top, like this surface, look at how, look at the legs on this thing. It's like designed with to a. To not jump through it. With yeah. like a, a pyramid of strength right through the spine where you would be aiming. So there has been a request for that. I will, um, we can consider that. I don't like, you, you carry with you. I would go straight up macho man off the top rope. Elbow drop. That would be through a wrestling buddy. I can't put some padding underneath the. the Here's uh, the thing, right? Table. From from that idiot video that we did way back when in the old studio, I oh, have you some did experience the jo- yeah. of falling from a, quite a height on a table onto what I thought was quite a padded surface on the floor. It really uh, like I you weigh, don't want to see nearly 300 pounds. This is what I'm saying, right? I weigh about 180. You weigh at least 100 pounds more than that. You coming off like that. That stepladder landing on this surface. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to catch Tony Khan's attention. See if he wants to add me to the action. I'm just try- saying that All at right. this point in your life, you you you've reached the Tom Brady stage of life where things like that will break you. Get rid of the ball quickly. Yes. Just save don't, yourself. Don't, I'm not even 40 yet. I've got at least hit. one good table bump in me. All right. Don't take the, the people. Hit the people want to hear take. football. We got to move on to football. But we're we're gonna figure out what the next thing is. Um, have a charity for uh, women's recovery that we can that we can donate to. Do we up the ante to? Would you do another fifteen hundred, two thousand? We'll we'll figure it out. But keep an eye on our Twitter account. And we'll figure out what the next charity drive is. We appreciate everybody because you guys are making that happen. And in our uh, impromptu survey results, people like that. They do. So we'll keep it going. All right, let's get into our PFF power rankings. They're over at pff.com. These will update throughout the season you'll be able to get all of these and we're in uh we're in automated worlds this is where um yep this is what the numbers say the nut what the numbers are saying based off of everything it's not just last year based off all the information that we have from previous seasons it's powered by aws machine learning capabilities over at pff.com so let's start at the top power rankings have the kansas city chiefs first tampa bay bucks second interestingly enough and just so you so you understand the differences here the chiefs have a Super Bowl probability of 14%. The Bucks are 15%, right? So remember, 
when you're analyzing how good teams are, that is different from analyzing their chances of winning the right. division or the Super Bowl. And clearly, our numbers are saying, hey, the AFC yes. is more loaded, in part because three of the top four teams, by our numbers, are in the AFC. So the Bucks have the highest Super Bowl win probability, but the Chiefs are number one in our power rankings. Yeah, and the good news is that, you know, from the famous sort of eye test or smell test or whatever test you want to run alongside the numbers, those are the two teams I think everybody's going to have, right? Kansas City, Tampa Bay, in whatever order you want to put them in. I mean, obviously, they were the Super Bowl teams last year, but those remain the Super Bowl favorites this year, right? Yeah, and I, I think that makes sense for a couple of reasons with, um, of course, the, the QB-driven league with Mahomes at the top of the Chiefs, the superstars that they have outside just the three years of excellence that they've put together with Mahomes at quarterback and then with the Bucks, Brady under center and their entire team yeah. coming back right the defense that was opportunistic last year let's not let's not let the Super Bowl sway us here the Bucks had a they had a good solid defense last year they weren't a dominant defense but they're all back and then offensively like a full year of Antonio Brown plus Mike Evans plus Chris Godwin plus Gronk, and all of those I mean, guys yeah yeah the, the, it really is an example of hey we've got the Kansas City Chiefs which is like four guys and Andy Reid versus Tampa Bay who have the strongest roster in the NFL top to bottom and have some continuity this year that they didn't have a year ago so remember like this time last year we were rolling into the season saying you know, Tampa Bay could be really good in the second half of the year, but don't expect it to happen like week one when they face the Saints because everything's new. Tom Brady and Bruce Arians coming together. That's going to take some time to gel. The receivers he's throwing to, he's never thrown to before. We didn't even know he was rocking a torn, a torn MCL at the time. But, like, there was no... Um, there was no lead-up time to get all this stuff together because they hadn't had any preseason games. The training camps were kind of weird and truncated. All of that's gone now. So now you have the team that is just coming off this run of, what are they, seven straight wins to end the season? Plus the Super Bowl, plus Brady being healthy, plus other people coming back. Vita Vea missed most of the season. Um, you know, O.J. Howard didn't play most of the season. Guys like Antonio Brown coming in. It's actually insane how much is going in Tampa Bay's favor this year versus last year. Like, the only thing that can hurt them is injury luck. Like, bad injury luck versus a season ago. Or, of course, the the one year where Tom Brady maybe just doesn't have it anymore. And By the time finally catching yeah. up to him. Uh, we don't like using end-of-season splits and all that stuff, right? Um but with the Bucs, it kind of fits that narrative, right? So they they face the Chiefs in Week 12. The great Tony Romo, after watching the Bucs lose and go 7-5, and five, go fall to 7-5, and five, Tony Romo's like, hey, we're going to see these two teams in the Super Bowl. I think he was just, you know, talking. Mm -hmm. I don't think he was really believing that or predicting it, but it happened. They, the Bucs have a bye in Week 13. Now, since their bye week last year week 14 through the end of the season through the playoffs tom brady 94.1 pff grade he's the only quarterback above 90 in pff passing grade it was a 93.2 do you look at that and say that is because of what you're saying he had more time with the system and the whole deal they they, they figured it out or is it just hey, they, they did have a run of playing the falcons twice and the lions and, hurt, and the right? vikings defense but they they made the super bowl run like, are we going to see a full season of dominance from this offense because it is year two under Bruce Arians and with Tom Brady? Yeah, I mean, level of competition always affects that. 
So that's certainly part of it. But I do think there's a genuine amount. Like, this was the narrative all last season. Maybe just for me, but it was something I was pushing all last season, which is, look, like, Tampa Bay, they just need to get to the playoffs. They don't need to get everything sorted out yet. They just need to get as far as the playoffs and ensure that when they make the playoffs, they have the answers to the things that were thrown at them earlier in the season that caused them problems. So particularly the Green Bay game, right? They, that was the, the nightmare Green, am I getting that the right way around? They had one nightmare game throughout the season. The Bucks, yeah. No, their nightmare they the game Green, was. They, they were the, the Green Bay. They were Green Bay's nightmare game. Yes, the <coughs> Bucks' nightmare game was the Saints yes. on Sunday Night Football. So they they just had to make sure that when they got to the playoffs, when they found those teams again, they had the right answers, and they did. Now you can say that they also ran up against some easy teams, and they weren't tested as much as they could have been. But the point is, they didn't need to be, you know. They didn't need to win all those games early in the season. They could afford to go 7-5 and five as long as they didn't drop out of the wild card spot because once you get to the playoffs, you've got Tom Brady, you've got this team that top to bottom is as good as anything else out there, and all you need to do is go on a little run. And they were able to do that. So the Chiefs and the Bucks sitting atop the power rankings. The other thing to consider here when we talk about Super Bowl win probability, the Chiefs being at 14, the Bucks at 15, no other team is above well the so the packers are at 11 but you see a drop off the third team in the power rankings is the buffalo bills they're at seven percent win probability the reason why you see the win probability higher for those top afc and nfc teams is you're projecting a buy for them there's only right. one buy and you literally can't lose on your bye week you can't win true. it either um and there's always a chance if you are a wild card team that you could lose even if it, even if you have a massive advantage so um again it reiterates the importance of having the bye the one team being on the bye um even though the bucks went through the wild card rounds the chiefs uh they only you know they didn't have to play that first week but your super bowl win probability is through the roof if you do earn that buy what are your thoughts in the power rankings here again pff.com buffalo bills three baltimore ravens four green bay packers five buffalo is interesting um the more I think about it, and this, <laughs> I'm going to undo a lot of the goodwill I've earned back from Bills Mafia. But the more I think about it, the more I think Buffalo is a team that could potentially underachieve this year. Like they make the AFC Championship game, we the arrow is projected upwards for Buffalo, right? They're expected to be one of the biggest threats to Kansas City within the AFC. Josh Allen just had his breakout season, incredible year. Um, I don't think Josh Allen's going to take a, going to go back towards where he was before last year. But I think you probably project some kind of regression from him because just because last year was so incredible and you know, if you're picking which direction he heads based off that baseline, you probably go down rather than up. Um, and also Buffalo was incredibly healthy last year. Like they were one of the healthiest teams in the NFL, so was Miami. Um, and I think just generally, there's a couple of things that could hit them that would take them in the wrong direction pretty quickly. Um, maybe it doesn't happen. Like maybe all those things stay in their favor and they continue to roll and they are a threat to Kansas City. There's certainly talent there. Like I don't dislike their roster. I think they're, they have a very complete team top to bottom. But, you know, <clears throat> if you're comparing them to Baltimore, to Tampa Bay, to Kansas City, Green Bay maybe, I can just see where that would falter and they don't they're, they're not like the third best team in the nfl they they also the bills have to play that first place schedule so we're talking about them playing the chiefs 
and the Titans back to back in October. So playing, you know, two teams. So they're going to play the entire AFC South anyway, but um, have to play the Chiefs. Uh, they're going to play who won the AFC North? The Ravens. Uh, Just look at the schedule. Right. I'm trying to watch it on the fly here. Look at it on the fly here. Um, but the first place schedule matters. Um, the Bills also play the NFC South, so they have to play the Bucks late in the season. The Steelers, in fact. The Steelers did one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Steelers fans. I'm sorry. Um, I just don't see... It's <laughs> a tough break for Pittsburgh. I just don't see the Steelers. Okay, they have the Steelers week two. Sorry. It's because I was glancing at the schedule really quickly and didn't see the Steelers. So either way, first place schedule matters. NFC South has the Bucks. The Saints will still be a tough team. We'll talk about them in a second. Uh, maybe the Falcons could be a little bit better this year, but... Um, that matters too when it when it comes to you know the Bills. Plus, I think the AFC the AFC East is going to be a little bit more competitive. The Jets yeah. should be better. The Patriots should be better. And the Dolphins, the Dolphins are the tricky one, who look like a big. They're they're one of those teams too that look like they got better, but could be a regression candidate just yeah. because they were probably th- two or three, maybe four wins better than they. Actually yeah, I mean were they the were field. they were I think the healthiest team in the NFL last year. So this idea of hey. We're, we're better this year than we thought we were going to be. There's a big question, I think, about whether that was actually true or not or whether they just got healthier than they were expecting to be or healthier than you generally expect to be. Honestly, if Tua isn't significantly better this year than he was as a rookie, which is, I'm not saying that's not going to happen. I mean, there's every chance he will be significantly better this year. If he isn't, you would, I would expect them to be worse this year than they are last year. Really quick, let's just tell you about our friends over at Fantrax. Why don't you do that? Steve? Yeah. Before we get into the rest of our power rankings, because their free fantasy football league manager is the most customizable, easy to use, and feature-rich platform in the entire industry. PFF is gearing up to play our leagues on Fantrax this season. They've got multi-team trades, player salary, and contract options. You can auto-generate player salaries for your league. What I love is that if you're coming from another site, there's no problem. Fantrax can import all of your leagues completely for Free. Sign up and play now at Fantrax.com slash PFF and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league. What? Is that real? I'm reading it. I don't know if it's real. Hmm. So you sign up, go to Fantrax.com slash PFF, and you can win a trip to any regular season game. I would go to uh, that Patriots-Bucks game. That's okay. supposed to be like the coolest game of all time. Um, I don't know if that's an option, but you and your entire league can go. Make your league on Fantrax and then head out to a fr- – oh to a free Las Vegas Raiders game with your buddies. There so it would be go. a Raiders game. Yeah. This is Fantrax.com slash PFF, <laughs> the home of fantasy sports. So I would go to a Raiders home game is what yeah. I would do. So that's pretty cool. That would be Love pretty it. good. I mean, Raiders home games with between that stadium, that location, the they've got like a nightclub in one end of the stadium, like in an end zone. Have you seen that? There's like a DJ and stuff. I did not see that. And the, whatever the premium suites are down at that end. That, look, that would be a pretty good game to go to. That stadium looks pretty awesome. It's yeah. also like literally just across the street from Mandalay Bay, which, you know, is not a bad place to be. It does look great. Uh, back to the power rankings. So the Ravens come in at four. And so it, it's interesting with this because the Ravens, another team that have, they've got that good all-around roster. Last year at this time, we you know, they were the best team in the NFL. They were coming off a season where they were the best team in the NFL, but they lost in the playoffs. So... And then for much of last season, looked like one of the teams to beat. And they just kind of took a step back. But they've got a lot of the same pieces, the same power running game, excellent secondary, and many, many additions along the defensive front. 
the numbers like the Ravens. Yeah, I mean the Ravens. The Ravens, I think, are a well-run, well-built, well-constructed team and franchise. So they're going to be, they're a long-term contender. You know what I mean? They're one of those teams that are going to be at the top end of power rankings pretty much every single season. And all that remains to be seen is if they can figure out how to get things together in the playoffs. And in particular, if they have an answer to what happens when they get down, you know, because that's been their Achilles heel so far is when they need to pivot to a drop back passing style of offense Lamar Jackson and the system generally just hasn't had the power to to make that move. Now, do the additions of Rashad Bateman, in particular Sammy Watkins, are they enough to make that change? Like Bateman, there's some training camp videos of him torching uh, Marlon Humphrey deep down the field for a touchdown. We, we'll see, but they are Who'd going say to Bateman? be. What? They have Bateman? Who torching a yeah. Marlon? Yeah. Why? What do you think I said? I just didn't hear who you said. Would you pay attention when I'm talking? This, I'm this trying to pull up the Ravens depth chart. When you're part of it and don't just coast. Somebody was distracted. Don't coast, Steve. Be great. Every minute of the day, every minute counts. And you just, you I just think every sacrifice a minute right there. I think every second counts. You're not paying attention to I, I gave up 60 seconds. So, Rashad Bateman, does he make the difference when they get in those situations? They're, they're, they're a weird team, though, because they almost have to focus on the the like the rare instance it doesn't come along very often like they're going to steamroll most teams using plan a what they need to do is to focus on plan b because at some point that's going to be the thing that dumps you out of the season it's just an incredibly small thing to be focusing on because it doesn't happen very often do you have a strong take on sammy watkins at all what are your thoughts on sammy watkins sammy watkins to me is a good enough receiver whereby if you don't focus on him, he can have a big game. But if you do, it's not a problem. So, yeah. Because that was his Chiefs career. He had yeah. he had the three-touchdown game week one. He's good like enough where if you go out there and saying, we are going to take away Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill with double teams, and that leaves this guy one-on-one with like a nickel, he'll have a big day. <clears throat> but if you actually you know cover him with the number one corner, I don't think he's going to show up particularly much. Anyway, the Ravens have a good – all-around roster they just added justin houston to the mix too on the edge so that's uh part of the nfl news component here on the show justin houston's going to sign or signs with the baltimore ravens it makes their edge defender group just a combination of a million guys tyus bowser they re-signed in free agency on the cheap Uh, pernell mcphee they brought back another veteran they drafted odafe Owe, formerly jason Owe, out of penn state with their first round pick that they got in the Kansas City Chiefs trade for Orlando Brown. So Oway is in there. Justin Houston comes in. And then uh, Jalen Ferguson is still there. Uh, the Ravens have really you know, put this defense together in a similar way that, again, the PFF data would suggest, right? Build back to front. Uh, you, even though they spent the first-round pick on a pass rusher, you don't necessarily have to spend $15 million a year on a pass rusher. So they've got this combination of veterans and retreads and one rookie and – they're going to, you know, meld that together with an excellent secondary. And we've talked before about how they are very good at scheming up pressure. So they blitz a lot. Only Pittsburgh, I think, blitz at a yep. greater rate last season than the Ravens did. So they blitz a ton. They get creative with their blitzes. They don't just show you the same thing every time. They're very good at scheming up one-on-one and, in fact, completely unblocked opportunities for their pass rushers. So... When you look at like the total amount of money they've committed to those edge rushers, it's an absolute steal. And a guy like Justin Houston, 
okay, he's older and he's got an injury history at this point, but he's still effective. Like, he came back with the Colts and played pretty well. If he actually lasts the season for them, you can you combine him with a guy like uh, Owe, like, there is a good chance that this group is extremely productive with a very minimal cash investment in them and, okay, a first-round pick in uh, Adafi Owe. But, like, that's this is why the Ravens are being talked about as an extremely well-crafted, smartly-built franchise because that that's really a clever way of team building I, I always have this vision with guys at justin houston's point in his career remember he was drafted in 2011 uh, had a 24 and by our numbers 24 sack season including the playoffs i mean he's he's had some dominant years as a pass rusher even most recently in 2018 with the chiefs he had an 88.3 pass rush grade 82 in 2019 last year was the big drop off though 63.2 pass rush grade for justin houston by far the lowest of his career but he still rushed the passer over 400 times that is a ton i always have this vision for guys at that point in their career are they can you just rush them 200 times do you just give this guy a limited workload or maybe he's just an early down run game enforcer you know something that tyus bowser isn't necessarily great at right so justin houston could be just a run game component but i think the ravens have done a really good job of building depth at key points along their roster uh, let's talk a little nfc here when it comes to the power rankings because the packers are fifth overall but they're the second NF nfc team 11 percent super bowl win probability is second highest a third highest in this entire group so even though they're fifth third highest win probability but as far as the nfc goes the saints are at seven I think, you know, the a remnant of just their roster, right? It's it's saying we've seen them win without Drew Brees because the O-line is good, uh, because the defense is good. I would this would be the number this would be the one place I would really question the Saints. And I don't know if this factors in Michael Thomas maybe not playing or whatever it is, yeah. but I would question the Saints at seven, questioning ourselves. But the NFC is kind of all over the place, right? I'm sorry, did I skip the Rams? Rams are at six, Saints are at seven. 49ers are at 9, Seahawks are at 10. So maybe the NFC is not top-heavy, but I think the Rams, maybe the Saints, the 49ers, the Seahawks, that next group, very interchangeable, I think, when it comes to the NFC. Any one of those teams could be could emerge and be that hypothetical third-best team behind the, the Bucs and the Packers. The Saints are going to be fascinating to see what they're like this year because Sean Payton, I think, is still one of the best head coaches in the NFL they do have a lot of talent on that roster. They always have this weird volume of turnover year to year because of the way they play the cap, but there's still a lot of good players there. They have a great offensive line. They have some good, um, you know, obviously guys like Alvin Kamara there on offense. Defense has got talent top to bottom, but now they don't have Drew Brees. Um, and it's, you know, this they've been essentially a, <laughs> they've been like a dynasty, but without winning anything, if that makes any kind of sense. They've been perennial contenders during the tenure of Drew Brees and Sean Payton um, because that combination has been so potent. Now, Drew Brees in the last couple of seasons has missed games and they've still won with Teddy Bridgewater or Taysom Hill or whoever it is, a quarterback. Can that last beyond a cameo? Like, can that last if one of those guys has to be a 16, 17-game starter now? Um, or do the wheels just completely fall off if that has to last more than a couple of weeks when people aren't really, you know, don't have a body of work preparing for it? That, I think, is, is going to be a fascinating question because Peyton is unquestionably an excellent head coach and play caller and 
offensive schemer and all those things, but does that only take you so far if Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston is your quarterback? And how much is he going to how much is he going to adjust to his quarterbacks, to his roster, right? If Michael Thomas is hurt, we've talked about this a little bit and we'll do it in our team previews. It's a re- very rough group of pass catchers. And also, like what do the adjustments even look like? I mean, I really think it's a Taysom led offense where it's where it's run game heavy that's what and I'm it's insane. Deontay Harris, you know, Deontay Harris over the top and you know, taking it's it's a Ravens-esque type of offense where it's vertical shots and um I'll say this, right? I mean, we've spent months having the same takes, essentially, right? So if you've listened to the podcast all offseason, you might hear us repeat ourselves a little bit because things haven't changed, yeah, right? Things haven't changed since February. Um, the thing I get most excited about with training camp and even the preseason and then early season is we do get surprised, right? I'm, I'm open to surprises, right? So for the Saints, if they if Marquez Callaway is awesome, and, and look, he had spurts in the SEC at Tennessee where he looked like, a future first-round wide receiver. I'm not going to completely say Marquez Callaway can't be good or Adam Troutman can't be a, a legit number one tight end. Troutman looked good last year. Yeah, I mean, Troutman could be good. But I'm just saying, much like the Steelers' offensive line, when you're relying on, well, this guy needs to step up and this guy needs to step up, and this, you're just relying on things that guys that haven't done it before. Can when, they do yeah, it? Sure. Well, when you need to write out a list of things that could go your way, they're probably not going to. Some of them will, but it's like the, the number of – if you have to write out a list of the number of things that all could potentially break your way to create this scenario where you're really good, you're probably not going to be really good. Um, the other reason, by the way, that I think this – like a Taysom Hill run-heavy type of system could be the way for them, I still believe that as long as the best couple of teams in the NFL are Kansas City, Tampa Bay, are going to be these pass-happy, incredibly explosive, potent offenses – if you're not going to be able to match that, you know, you don't have Patrick Mahomes. You don't have Tom Brady. If you're not going to be able to go toe-to-toe with that, I still believe your best your best approach of beating those teams or your best approach at like winning games in the playoffs is to pivot in the other direction and go run heavy and go ball control, chew the clock. The thing that I've been – like every time they play, I keep saying that I still think that Baltimore is the best-placed team – to beat Kansas City. Every time they run up against each other, it doesn't go that way. But I, I still think that the theory is sound. So for a team like the Saints, I think that's their best approach. And I, I think that's why the Patriots are swinging back in that direction. They're going, look, we no longer have Tom Brady. We can't find wide receivers to save our lives. So what do you do? You go run heavy. Like the rest of the league is crying out for this. We've been, you know, there's this talk about the fullback is dead, the the two-down linebacker is dead. Like the what the league is no longer built to defend against this style of offense. So let's run this style of offense and see if we can just run everybody over. Um, I, and I think there's something to that. And a few teams are heading in that direction right now, and it makes them extremely difficult and challenging to defend week on week. So if you're the Saints, why not go that route instead of? hoping Jameis Winston stops making mistakes I'm with you I'm with you on the Baltimore Kansas City thing too I it, they on paper it's like oh this should be the team that yeah. stops the Chiefs it just doesn't every time has has the secondary to maybe hang but we'll see that in week two um always love those matchups they I mean, always play early in the season as well I think seems. the re well the reason I think it hasn't worked out that way is because it's almost like an all-or-nothing proposition it's I think that's the best way of stopping or beating the Chiefs 
as long as you don't get down early and abandon the game plan. Yeah. If the problem, the reason it hasn't worked the last couple of times is because both times Kansas City has kind of put them in a hole and then they they put them they get them out of that game plan and immediately Baltimore's plan B is awful, so they win. If Baltimore, like last time it was really close. It, it happened in the first sort of couple of drives and I think they surrendered, you know, the first drive they had a chance of like keeping it there was a penalty or something, took them out of it, and they kicked, and then game over. Like, it's done. Kansas City scores again. Now you're out of that game plan. Abandoned, can't win that way. If you can stay in that mode, I think that is the way to beat Kansas City because you're not going to beat them if you try and go toe-to-toe and just go and get into a, an arena league shooting match. So the NFC West, we've spent a lot of time talking about them, but the Rams at six, as I mentioned, the Niners at nine, Seahawks at 10. The NFC West have three teams in our top 10 as far as power rankings go, and the Cardinals aren't far behind at 15. Yeah. So that is... All four, all the entire division is in the top half of the league. So the, here's the reality here, right? We're going to look stupid somewhere. Some, <laughs> somewhere you're going to look back and say, well, the you know Arizona only won six games. You idiots had them really high. It's like, well, they're in this very difficult division here, and every game is going to be competitive. I know that's only well, know, not six of the games. I mean, but... the 49ers won six games last year by being absolutely injury ravaged. Like, essentially, you take out horrendous injury luck last year and all four teams would have been 500 or better. It's just probably the coolest division in the NFL. You've got, you know, the McVay, Kingsbury, um, you know, the, just the, the young coaches there, uh, Shanahan as well. You've got old school Pete Carroll, but he's got Russell Wilson. <laughs> Right, you have <laughs> Pete Carroll, who's built you know his reputation on defense, and they've kind of had to. Did you change see him take bit. his latest swing at like articulating balance? <laughs> I did not, because obviously, like Carroll is getting hammered at this point for being this like archaic dinosaur who wants to run the ball and grind everything out and blah blah blah. Right, and clearly he's too good a coach to just be like a, a moron. Right, he obviously knows what he's doing. So, but every time like they try and get him to explain. You know what you want this offense to look like and the run game is important to Pete Carroll now the run game isn't necessarily important to him in terms of like we have to run it 40 times we have to run it on first and second down we have to like all these rules that everybody thinks he has so every time they ask, he's like we he basically had this paragraph he's like all right let's try it one more time I want this offense to be balanced. And by balanced, I mean, and like literally tried to walk everyone through it like he was a, a school teacher talking to children um, who was trying to explain like what he means by run past balance. So I, I think the way I describe it's perfect. Oh, okay. How's that? Fine. I'll help you. Coaches, I will, I'll write your press conferences for you. You just, you want to have answers to what the defense is given. That's it. That's the, that's the, that's the gist of it. You want to have answers. I think when, when things go wrong, is when you do have the mentality of I gotta have this and I gotta I gotta have X number of runs I gotta I gotta establish it on first and set whatever it is right when you just have to have answers okay so using run heavy teams in reverse I always mention the Patriots and the Ravens they have not with Cam Newton under center in New England and with Lamar Jackson with the Ravens they haven't always had the answers when teams take away the run so their balance is lacking in the pass game the only place I think that Pete Carroll might be quote unquote wrong is that he does seem to believe that it is necessary to prove you have the threat of a run game so that later in the game if you need it 
it's there, right? So this idea of, you know, what's the flaw in the run and shoot in the 90s? It's like, well, when they get up late in the game and you need to run the four-minute offense at you the clock, they can't run the ball. That, like Pete Carroll seems to believe that you do need to prove to a defense that you can run the ball earlier in the game so that late in the game it's effective. Whereas Data would say that that just isn't true. You don't need to have like a weight of carries earlier in the game. You can either run the ball or you can't. No amount of like proving it to a defense earlier in the game or establishing it earlier in the game actually makes a difference to that or not. So where I think you're right is where you say, look, you just, I mean, you just need to be able to do it, right? If you get late in the game, it's four minutes to go. Now, honestly, I think there's an argument that you don't even need that. Like if you've been able to move the ball and put up points and succeed, I don't really see why you need to. I, I know that stopping the clock is an issue, but ultimately if you're efficient enough to put yourself in a position of leading, you probably don't need to like pivot the, to this four-minute ground control offense. But even if you do... Just just first downs and running clock are the most yes, important thing. But even if you do, you don't need to do it earlier in the game. As long as you can do it, you can do it. It doesn't matter that you've established it or proved it earlier in the game. Just be able to bring that out in the fourth quarter with four minutes to go, and you're good. Yeah, because the thing about the four-minute offense, now that we're going on all these tangents, right? The defense knows you're going to be trying to run it. Right. So they go eight-man box. So you don't have to just, I'm going to run power into eight-man. You know, I'm going to run. You can go back. You can go into the gun, and you can run You know, you know, can run your normal zone read type of stuff with a bubble screen. And if the bubble's open, you just you chuck the bubble, and you pick up three yards through a bubble screen, not yeah. necessarily through running. So it still comes back to the math is my point, right? If there are too many guys in the box, you can still swing it out to the perimeter and keep the clock running. So it's having answers. It's all about having answers to what the defense throws at you. That, I think, is the biggest thing. Um, And the other thing that I'll repeat all season, there's probably something deep down in Pete in the Seahawks front office that says, 2015, we put it in Russ's hands. Things didn't go so well. 2017, I think it was, where it was a Russell (coughs) Wilson-driven offense and it didn't go so well. And last year, it started out hot half first half of the season let russ cook and he's gonna set the passing touchdown record and it fell apart yeah so i think those things just they remember those things and i think they stick in their brain a little bit more because they've lived it i wrote this article on pff.com at the end of last week russell wilson is a very very strange quarterback he's he's an enigmatic quarterback who you know, we, the conversation is all about let Russ cook and how mu- essentially volume, right? How much do you let Russell Wilson pass the ball? But I think if you look at how he plays the game, it's a much more interesting conversation than that because you have to start questioning how do you allow him play the game? Because so Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, not under pressure, you know, when kept clean. He's even better versus everybody else when he's under pressure, but he takes too much pressure. And because of that, overall, his efficiency drops to like 12th, right? Because the balance is wrong. Every quarterback in the NFL is worse under pressure. So if a quarterback takes more pressure, it doesn't matter if relative to everybody else, he's better under pressure because you need to take less pressure in order to be good overall. So Wilson overall drops to like 12th in terms of just general efficiency because he invites too much pressure. On the other hand, over the last few years, he leads the NFL in big time throws. He is second in the NFL in turnover-worthy play rate. So he doesn't make big mistakes. He makes a ton of huge plays. 
And he does a lot of that because he's able to run around, extend plays, and create, change the picture of a defense, right? Essentially adjust right. how they're defending. So, but, the, but overall, that's having a detrimental effect on like the basic down-to-down efficiency of that offense. Now, how much of that is Russell Wilson needs to play that way because he's 5'11 and can't really see over the 6'5 dudes and, you know, and the offensive line isn't amazing, so the pocket is constantly kind of squeezing in on him even if it's not collapsing. How much of it is necessary and how much of it is like Russell Wilson just feels more comfortable in that, in that chaos because he's a good quarterback under pressure? So you're in this weird world where do you let Russ cook and say – do whatever makes you feel happy because you make a ton of big plays and we want those in the offense. Those are important. You don't make a ton of huge mistakes. But in doing that, you're essentially endorsing a lot of the small mistakes he's making, right? So the fact that it is a less efficient system, it does result in him taking a lot of sacks, which are bad plays, but not as bad as turnovers. It's it's just this complicated thing. Or do you say, Actually, we need you to start playing more within the structure because even though you're less comfortable doing that and even though you might make a few less big plays, it's more efficient overall, which I think is the thing that they're trying to shoot for, right? Now, they might be trying to drive there by essentially just taking volume off his plate and saying, just throw the ball less. Maybe they need to change how he's throwing the ball. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think we're going to see this year is the how. Um, because you you articulate that extremely well, I, and when you say that, it's like okay, he's Russ. They've always built a vertical passing attack around him. When it was Daryl, uh, when Bevel was there, uh, when Schottenheimer was there, it was it was shot plays, right? I mean, and when you take a lot of shot plays and off of play action, and that's Russ's strength. He's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL. You're probably more inclined to run the ball. So, like on paper, the answer would be run the same amount of play action. However replace some of those runs with quick game with yeah. with get rid of the ball but i but again i think that's where russ isn't bad necessarily but i think that's where he's not necessarily elite right so when you put but statistically other, he is very good at that stuff yeah so but but i think that's where maybe the seahawks are less comfortable because even that doesn't always look clean right right oh i got the you got the you got the five yard hitch on the outside just throw it it's not he doesn't always throw it maybe he still scrambles out and runs for five instead of taking the throw but it's not that he's not good at that stuff it's that he doesn't like doing it and doesn't do it a lot now again how much of that do you control as a coach right when he when every time he essentially ignores the free five yard hitch you know runs around the back of the pocket tries to find a bigger play sometimes does sometimes doesn't are you coaching him against that are you when he comes to the sideline saying why didn't you take the hitch right or are you saying that's russ let russ be russ it works out most of the time he makes a lot of big plays let's leave him be because if if you're doing the second one everybody right now is contributing to this overall lack of efficiency or lack of efficiency is the wrong word because there's still a good offense but there's just a ceiling that's not being reached yes this this meat left on the bone by not maximizing what you could be doing or are you actually like trying to push him in that direction and he just isn't like because that's that's I don't that's almost a more difficult problem to solve and this goes back to having answers for me I think you know Brady's Patriots that that's all they did was have answers that's why in one week you would see them maybe run for 200 because that's what the defense gave them other times it's like hey we're gonna run quick game other times they would drive it down the field the the Chiefs have shown that ability right I have 
how many times have I come on here and said, man, the Chiefs played a really patient game. And you say patient because you're expecting Mahomes to just want to make spectacular plays, but they were able to string together 10 to 15 play drives. The Seahawks have never felt comfortable there, so they run into a Rams team last year that just takes away the vertical stuff. So I do think we'll see more horizontal stuff this year. Critically, Manning, Manning's Colts and Broncos, Brady's Patriots, they never got themselves down a cul-de-sac of being inefficient in a certain way, right? Yeah. This is how we play. This is how I play the game. It's for good or for bad. It leaves something on the table. They were always able to pull themselves back to straight and true and adjust depending on the defense they were facing. Now, Rodgers went down a rut. Like, Rodgers got dragged down into this way of doing it that isn't quite maximum efficiency and was able to pull himself out of it last year. Um, Patrick Mahomes, I think, at times has pulled himself down that route of inefficiency and has been able to come back and, and get back to the, the the straight and true path. Russell Wilson now is down this rut where, again, it's not like he's bad. He's an incredible quarterback, but you're running parallel to what is the most optimum way of playing offense and playing quarterback in the NFL. And it remains to be seen, A, are the Seahawks, have they even identified like which which wrong turning they've taken? You know what I mean? Do they still think... Yeah essentially that the problem here is that Russell Wilson just has the ball in his hands too much or are they have they correctly identified which wrong turn they've taken and just don't yet know how to get back to the the main street that they're supposed to be on right um and then b like can they actually get there anyway the NFC West man that is the division Niners Rams Seahawks all in the top 10 uh from an AFC standpoint the Colts are at 11 right now so they've got the let's go right into the Carson Wentz news right now Carson Wentz is hurt yes we don't know how badly supposedly hurt a pop yeah Uh, they've ruled out the Liz Frank stuff they've ruled that out uh it was reported that it isn't Liz Frank Mike Silver I think reported that it definitely is not Liz Frank if it was a Liz Frank injury he would essentially be done for the season if he needed surgery and you could just blow up the Colts in the future would be in question right too, that would be like tough absolute worst case scenario for the Colts you like the silver lining to that deal would be you just set fire to a second round pick because it's contingent on playing time the bad stuff would be you don't have the quarterback you traded for you still have his giant contract and you've no earthly idea if you can put him back together again yet because you didn't see him for more than five minutes before he popped his foot. And by the way, he's also now a giant brittle injury risk going forward. So that would have been the absolute freaking nightmare if it was Liz Frank and he's done for the year. I really feel for Chris Ballard, GM. He shows up in 2017. Andrew Luck misses the entire season. Yeah. Luck plays in 18 retires before the 19 season so Chris Ballard essentially had to play Jacoby Brissett as his starter who Jacoby's a good backup but Jacoby Brissett was his starter for two years essentially by default uh grabs Philip Rivers uh fine for a year and then has to make an aggressive move has to make some kind of move because they don't have quarterback he goes and gets Carson Wentz maybe you say it's his own fault he got the injury prone Carson Wentz and the the guy that's yeah they're trying to rehab him from a play uh, a on field standpoint, I mean, it was a risk anyway, just yes. in terms of the on field playing stuff. It was an on field risk and right, also an injury before risk. even factoring in the injury stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it, but we said at the time, like, what else? What were the alternatives? Like, that was their their problem. Like, 
and they were supposed they were interested in the Stafford stuff, but I mean that was that was the reality. There of was it. no there was no alternative out there that wasn't extremely expensive for them, right? Um, so Carson Wentz, you know, being hurt, you know, certainly certainly throws a damper. If the Colts the Colts are at eleven in part because they've built a solid roster. We know how good their offensive line is excellent. Their defense is 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 good. They've got uh, you know pretty good players in the back seven, young defensive line that they invested heavily there in the draft. But this, you know, I, I really want to see what Wentz can do there. You know me. I, I love watching quarterbacks in new situations, so I hate these injuries. Um, but the Colts were already going to be kind of like a volatile team based yeah. off of what happened with Wentz, and this would really put a damper unless they made a, a massive trade if Wentz is out for a significant amount of time. It's a real shame what because – happening up there? I don't know. People are moving around. Is there around. a football game on the second floor here? The – so – He's now reportedly planning on essentially rest and rehab with the hope of avoiding surgery. Um, I, that, that feels like the kind of move that isn't going to work. You know what You're I mean? a former minor leaguer. Of course. You know how this, this happens often with arm injuries. Yes. You have a guy that has a really bad elbow, a really bad shoulder. Mm. You know it's bad. Don't want the Tommy John surgery. But you, but what happens is you generally prolong it like a month. Yeah. We'll do a month of rehab, right? And it's like, oh, it still, yeah, it still hurts. Yeah. Okay, we'll do the surgery, right? right. And you just lost a all month you, of yeah. your. Rehab. All you did is put it back. Yeah. That feels like what this is going to be with Wentz. I hope know? it's not. I mean, I, I hope, I hope there's a better report coming out soon. The problem I is, see this. yeah, the problem is that like, it's a foot injury. It's it's the kind of thing that, you know, Wentz is an athletic, mobile quarterback. It's the kind of thing that if it's not a hundred percent. And he can, like he's going to be coming back, and it won't be 100 percent, regardless of whether he has surgery or not. It's going to hamper him. And again, you are already dealing with the problem of how do we get this guy pieced back together after the train wreck that was 2020. Now it's like, how do we piece him together, knowing that he's going to be kind of hobbled on the bad foot? It's just it sucks because this was, you know, the Colts were hoping to win this division, make the playoffs. Maybe Wentz could give them something that Rivers couldn't last year. And now it's like, well, this move was already kind of risky, and you're dealing with a quarterback that doesn't like he's he's just handicapped from what he's capable of doing because he's playing hurt. We wrote an article, uh, Brad Spielberger. Or did you write it? I was. Part you wrote of it with it, Sam's help. It's a, you've got the byline here, yeah, so it's perfect. all Sam. Uh, you got help from multiple people within PFF, but uh, the the potential options that were highlighted are yeah, not there. great. Marcus Mariota, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo, yep. Let me just say this: not great, but Jimmy Garoppolo could be an upgrade over Carson Wentz. I mean, healthy Jimmy Garoppolo is probably better than healthy Carson Wentz, but who knows? Like the Jimmy Garoppolo one is interesting. You would have to rework the deal, but whatever. But now you're essentially saying to the 49ers, "Are you ready to roll with Trey Lance? Because we're we're willing to give you a pick for your quarterback." But it means you have to turn to the rookie right away. Now, we, if it was me and I'm the 49ers, I would do that because I think he's ready anyway. But that, that's essentially the question you're posing to them. If you're the Niners, though, the same, I'll give the same answer I gave for the Bears. The Niners' goal should be what's best for Trey Lance, all this investment. Right. And if you think Trey Lance needs to sit first and I need Jimmy Garoppolo to be the bridge, then, it's, you're, then, then you it's shouldn't not worth be doing it. it. Yeah. But from a massive team building standpoint, do you sacrifice? All right, Trey Lance is just going he, he's playing football. He's got to go play because we're going to get a second rounder or a third rounder, whatever that ends up being, 
for a Garoppolo. My favorite option is the one that has almost no chance of happening, Minshew. Gardner. Because of the division. Tank-proof Minshew. Well, not just, be- yeah, because of the division and because it would be the act of essentially saving like a team that would be screwed otherwise. You know what I mean? Right. So not only are you like, sometimes you can see these trades within the division, it kind of makes sense because it's like, eh, it's not much to us and it's not much to them and sure. But this would be like, the Colts right now are screwed. They believe they're not screwed by getting your backup quarterback. That Like that's completely transformative, both to you and them. So I just don't see any real way that happens. But Minshew behind like arguably the league's best offensive line, with you know some talent around him, that would be fun. Still, some questionable playmakers in Indy, but we've seen Minshew, <coughs> you know, do pretty well with the Jaguars having bottom five, bottom eight groups of playmakers over and a the last bad offensive years. line. In a bad offensive line, that is the most intriguing thing about Gardner Minshew for me. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar or anything like that. I just think he's had success in a less than stellar situation, and that yeah. means something for a guy that was a former sixth round pick absolutely nick Foles has been thrown out there with the frank reich connection that would just be funny I, more nick Foles data points can you imagine i live for nick Foles data points can you imagine <laughs> how much it would mess with carson wentz's head if they bring in nick Foles? remember carson wentz this is a guy who like we were like oh don't worry the uh the jalen hurts second round pick won't be if it's if he's your quarterback of the future it won't screw up with his head too much like, from the second Jalen Hurts was drafted, Carson Wentz became a basket case and fell to pieces. Now you're bringing in the guy who came in for the injured Carson Wentz the first time and led the team to the Super Bowl, won the ring that you – I mean, you got a ring, but, you know, what I mean. Won the championship that you didn't yourself actually win. Now comes in to, like, in relief of you injured again. Carson the Wentz dude would fall ring. apart. Can we just – for now, can we just put to bed the idea that – the idea that – uh, the big strapping man, the big huge quarterback who's six five two forty size does not equal durability. Is the most durable guy. Yes, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, and actually the data big says ben, the opposite. Joe Flacco, all of these guys, the guys with the prototypical big durable body, they get hurt. This is why I'm saying you Just shouldn't like jump else. through a table. Uh, the data actually point. says the opposite, right? The larger you are, the more chance you have of being injured. But that's a little survivor bias, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not it, – it, the reason for that is is not because they're inherently more brittle. The reason for that is because they play with a style that typically gets them hit more. But the point is, the lar- like, just having a large body is not going to mean your quarterback survives. If your quarterback doesn't play in a way that protects him, he's going to get hurt. I, I don't even, again, I, I think it's all playing style. I think it's all it about is. the hits you take. <clears throat> That's my point. Uh, when Cam Newton, Cam Newton had his foot injury a couple years back, it was because he was trying to extend a play that he shouldn't have taken. Jimmy Garoppolo has been hurt twice in his career because he tried to extend a play that he shouldn't have. He blew out his ACL when he's trying to make one extra move along the sideline. His shoulder injury with the Patriots was he could have thrown it away a second earlier, but he waited till the last second and ended up taking the hit playing style for the most part leads to a lot of the stuff then yeah. there's some freak stuff too that kind of adds up whatever but um and this could be a freak injury for did for you see Wentz. the move they made by the way a quarterback who who did they take who they, they signed take? brett hundley oh i did not see that now yeah that to me suggests that this is not you know a long-term long-term thing like you're not rolling with jacob Eason, sam ellinger yeah. uh for some reason i keep wanting to call him jake ellinger who's like a 
old linebacker or something? Anyway, uh, Ellinger and Brett Hundley. Like, you're not rolling with that trio if you think Carson Wentz is done for the season? Yeah, Jake, uh, I think Jake passed away. Yeah, so Jake is his brother who passed away recently, Sam. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's that's why that that name is is sticking out. I just wanted to Um, confirm. So I I think the fact that they signed Brett Hundley means that at least the Colts think that this is not, you know, a long-term thing that they're hoping to have him back. Maybe he'll miss a few weeks, and then October is where you get Wentz. The one that I'm kind of intrigued by, though, is this idea of Jacob Eason as a starting quarterback because Eason is another big-armed, big-bodied, toolsy type of quarterback that never really put it all together in college but was a guy a lot of people liked in the draft process, in part, I think, because there's been this run of toolsy quarterbacks showing up really well. And anybody that was you know, a rookie last year is all dealing with the same negative circumstances of no preseason to show anything, weird training camp, you know, Zoom calls to install things and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying it's going to work out, but at the very minimum, giving Jacob Eason like a full training camp's worth of reps with the ones and potentially like a full preseason running with the first team is, I think, not a bad thing to roll with. I'd be intrigued to see how that works out. I do really want to see Jacob Eason in the preseason. The the difference between him and Justin Herbert and Josh Allen is just he doesn't have the same level of athleticism. He's got the arm. Um, Eason, Eason and Felipe Franks have two of the best throws we've seen in the PFF college era during college, obviously Jacob Eason got one uh, behind the defense for a game. I think they were both against Tennessee behind the defense, like 60 plus yards in the air for a game winner, which I thought was incredible. And then Felipe Franks topped him with like a 70 yarder behind yeah. the defense of Tennessee. Um, but they're similar six, five, six, six cannons for, for an arm. Felipe Franks also doesn't have the best athleticism, but Eason can chuck it around. But your, yeah. to your point, he was never uber productive in college and actually got beat out by Jake Fromm, who's the opposite, not right. the most physically talented, I'm not but saying, just a better QB. Yeah, like I'm not saying it would work out. I'm just saying that it'd be that's an intriguing guy to see suddenly get a chance essentially to be the starting quarterback for a while. Jacob Eason data points. But I'm really rooting for Nick Foles data points. Nick Foles data points? I'm rooting Why? for more. Did you not have enough data points last year? Are you still on the fence with Nick Foles? Like can there He's got the most ridiculous two stretches yes. in NFL history. A right. full 2013 season in a two-game stretch in the playoffs. Yes. Does he have one more of those in him? <laughs> Is there a third stretch? And can I connect the dots on why those happened? Well, that's the bigger question. One was Chip Kelly taking the league by storm, and then Chip Kelly What you essentially want is you want Nick Foles as your backup quarterback so that if your starter goes down in the playoffs – you hope that he can string back the three games that win you a Super Bowl again. It was just the weirdest thing, too, because in 2013, it's like Michael Chip Kelly has Michael Vick. Michael Vick was a couple seasons removed from being an MVP candidate uh, under Andy Reid. And then it's like, wow, Chip Kelly has Michael Vick. And then they destroy the Washington football team. In the first, oh, my gosh, Chip Kelly and Michael Vick are going to break the league. And it turns out it was actually Nick Foles took over and broke the league. Yeah, that late that year, or at least broke stats. At least broke the stats in the league. Anyway, um, so the Colts they're eleven in our power rankings, which I think would change if we knew that there was a significant injury to Carson Wentz. Let's go to the bottom of the power rankings quickly here. Detroit Lions at thirty-two. Yeah. Texans at thirty-one. Eagles at thirty. Jaguars at twenty-nine. Detroit being worse than Houston is harsh. I think. I'm telling you, <coughs> Houston's in this weird... I, I don't know what we're doing with their quarterback situation. 
I she's don't. playing safety in training camp uh, but just I'm to saying, like chew up space for our projections i don't yeah. know what we're doing for that but there is this weird world where if deshaun watson was under center for the texans i think they're better than they were last year like the overall roster probably takes a step forward does it i think so you don't have will fuller anymore they don't i mean okay yeah you lose will fuller you lose jj but that's just two that's just Maybe. two players the line I mean, it feels like a lateral step at best but they shouldn't have been a, like if if Watson played at the same level, they shouldn't have been a four win team. Yeah, that's with probably a quarterback true. playing like that. Um, the Jags at twenty nine are the one that I think is most intriguing. I, I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be solid. I think he's going to have a good season. And that, but you, it's tough to project it. And the Jets at twenty eight, it's tough to project and know exactly what you're going to get, gonna get actually, from the top two picks in the draft. I mean, I think Detroit will be bad. I think Houston won't be good. I think Philadelphia, unless Jalen Hurts plays significantly better than I anticipate, won't be good either. Beyond that, it's actually kind of hard to find teams that you think will suck. Like Jacksonville, I think, actually have a good shot of being a lot better than people expect them to be. I don't think they were as bad last year as their record. The Jets... It, it all depends on um, their quarterback, obviously. But if he's good right out of the gate, they jump up. Cincinnati, we've been talking about how that offense could be really good with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Um, like, there aren't that many teams that look terrible anymore. You know what's going to happen this year? What? Remember how the NFL was always preaching parity and yeah. they really wanted it? I think it's going to be, I think a lot of teams, and I guess it really happens every year, but a lot of teams that we are that, – that, look like they're on the rise are yeah. going to take a step back I just think, because of schedule and weird stuff i mean i'm looking at the dolphins maybe the cardinals i mean there are teams that look like they're going to be good and solid and they're just the browns honestly the browns and the afc north in that division it's going to be tough and the browns i don't know if they were really as good as their record last year they were kind of close and everything's pointed toward they're doing all the right stuff but they could still be a little bit worse than they were last year just because Football's a quirky game, man. Yeah, maybe. The Browns feel like they had a lot working against them earlier in the year, though, that I think they're a little bit like the Bucks, where like their early season I don't think was reflective of how good they are. And now yeah. that doesn't that's not a factor anymore. So I actually think the Browns should be a lot better. Their problem is like they 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 spent all offseason addressing a secondary that was bad. They made a lot of good moves, but again, how often do all of those moves pan out? year one so like that secondary has a range of outcomes where they could be phenomenal if everybody they brought in hits or half of them don't work out and it's still like an okay secondary you know Denzel Ward will be good if he's healthy John Johnson should be good because we've never seen anything other than that from him but Greg Newsom's a rookie every rookie gets torched these days um Troy Hill has been kind of up and down and has a you know don't we don't know exactly where he'll what his role would be greedy williams has been injured and not good in the nfl so there's every chance that like half the secondary isn't good at which point you didn't really fix it speaking of the browns nick chubb signed a new contract yeah discussed it today on the pff nfl daily so you can go there for all of our nick chubb analysis we also broke down a little bit about the running back market and you know just what what the future looks like as far as running backs go and, and if the browns actually made a good move uh, but yeah, I think when you look at the bottom of these power rankings, uh, honestly, the Texans and the Lions, I do think, are in full rebuild mode. Yeah. The Eagles, full rebuild mode. Oh, by the way, we didn't even talk. The 
How pissed off are the Eagles that Carson Wentz just got hurt? Oh, I wanted to mention that too, right? So that Carson Wentz gets traded for a conditional first-round pick. The condition is he's got to play 75% of the snaps this year. If he does that, the Eagles get a first-round pick. Yeah. If he does not, it's a second-round pick. And that is a been, massive difference. Well, particularly because we've been saying that Look, that was, I mean, it's basically a first-round pick, right? It's been assumed all the way along that that will be a first-round pick because you just traded for a starting quarterback. The starting quarterback is going to play that level of snaps over the course of a season. Um, and the Eagles basically appear to have budgeted for that in terms of how they've been approaching this offseason, right? Their thing was, we love Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson at quarterback. If we don't have a shot at them, we don't like any of the others, we're going to move down give Jalen Hurts a year and plan for next season when we're going to have the extra first-round pick to be able to go up and get whoever we do like. Right Now you don't have the extra first-round pick. you got a second. That is a massive difference in terms of what Philadelphia is capable of doing in the first round of the draft. On the other hand, if it is a second and it is the Jacob Eason-led Colts, you might be talking about but that's not getting you for like it's if you not getting you the quarterback. But. If you don't suck badly enough that your pick is in the top three, you know what I mean. You're not getting to like two or one with that pick, yeah. Which is what they would have been like budgeting for. Which is hey, if Jalen Hurts doesn't play well and we end up as like a four win team and we're picking number four, that extra first round pick is what can take us from four to two or one to get the quarterback we want. You can't, like, now that pick's not getting you there. Yeah, the Eagles are rooting for a quick recovery for Carson. Yes. They're sending uh, <laughs> sending doctors. Yeah, or, right. Or, you know, Phoning up get, the Colts. Guys, we have rehab. an amazing foot specialist. We'll yeah. send him right over. <laughs> oh, Eagles fans can be mad again. Uh, but, but the Eagles are 30th in our power rankings. I think, you know, if, if Jalen Hurts is solid, you know, maybe that moves them up a little bit. But I think that's clear. But, again, the Jaguars, the Jets, the Bengals are at 27 in our power rankings. They could be good, or at least a tough team. The Giants at 26, they could be good with, you know, improvements on the defense, improvements on both sides of the ball for the Giants. Uh, the Vikings at 23, I do believe the Vikings are going to be a lot better this year than they were last year. Chargers at 23, they're tied. Not if all their quarterbacks keep having COVID. Yeah, true. Well, that, have, by the way... If they have it now, they won't have it later. Yeah, one of them. They won't have it during the season. Yeah. Well, maybe. <laughs> the, this feels like... I think you might end up with a bunch more of those Denver-Higdon quarterback situations this year versus last year. Last year, everybody was sort of treating COVID seriously. You know, we're tight bubbles, constant testing, no vaccine, so you got to stay on top of this. Everybody's, like, trying their hardest, essentially to keep under wraps, to get through the season so that we play all these games. And there weren't that many, you know, major screw-ups or major catastrophes in terms of losing entire rooms. Now, it's like COVID's over. Everybody's sort of treating it like it's done. But, A, it isn't. <laughs> this Delta variant and this cases surging through the roof and all this kind of stuff. It may be not like a giant, you know, death threat that people thought it might have been a year ago, but it certainly isn't finished. B, you've got this big minority of vaccine-reticent players, you know, the Cole Beasleys of the world that don't want to get vaccinated, want their individual freedom to choose and whatever. There's a giant chunk of people that are not getting this done, no matter how much the NFL coerces them towards it, no matter how much guys like Ron Rivera are like, guys, I'm immunocompromised here. It would really help me out if you got the vaccine. So you're getting these chunks of guys that aren't getting the vaccine. And see, like, we this... We, we're like 
we're in Ohio, right? Which I think treated the vaccine relatively serious or treated the virus relatively seriously compared with certain other states. But when was the last time it was even like a factor in your life here? Like you've been able, since they lifted the mask restrictions, you will occasionally see somebody with a mask, but you haven't needed one to go anywhere. You know, you can go into Kroger without a mask. People, people are basically treating this like it's done. My point is this idea of half the Vikings just lost their quarterback room, essentially, right? Kellen Mond got COVID. The rest of the quarterback room was a close contact. Vikings got shut down and they had to run a scrimmage with Jake Browning as their only available quarterback. You think that happens more often? Uh, yes. I think we're going to see that happen a few times this season because essentially we're treating this with more complacency as we were than we were a year ago, even though, you know, there's a vaccine and in theory we should be way better equipped to, like, shut it down. Yeah, it's just another storyline for the 2021 season, just seeing if that affects, you know, how that affects teams. And, you know, the NFL is certainly doing everything they can to try to Try to prevent that. So right. we'll see what ends up happening this season. And, you know, hopefully all goes well. Uh, I don't want to see too many wide receivers playing quarterback, though, like we did last year for the Broncos. Yeah, it felt like a novelty at the time. And then when you saw it actually happen, you're like, yeah, this just I wasn't interested ever. This just isn't fun. I was not interested ever. Well, I'm always the guy that, you know, during the game when your top two quarterbacks go down, it's like, who's the emergency? Oh, it's Kyle Juszczyk. I want to see that. Just morbid curiosity. I want to see what a Kyle Juszczyk quarterback offense looks like. But when you actually see it happen, you know, and Higdon, poor guy, is running for his life trying to play quarterback, you're like, yeah, this just isn't, this just isn't that fun. This is just kind of mean. It was not fun at <laughs> it all. It just feels like bullying. All right. Do you have anything else on the power ranking side of things no. that you wanted to touch on? Any other interesting teams? We're going to hit on every team as far as the team previews go. No, as I it say, it's – it's kind of weird that there is there does appear to be a lot of parity in the NFL this year. And I think that's been the case for a couple of seasons that, okay, there's a few teams you expect to contend, but there haven't been that many teams that you are like certain will be terrible for a couple of years now. Right. And that's like the, the Niners, I know they traded up to the third pick, but a lot of teams that even picked in the top 10 last year, it's not like you're saying, oh, they were just horrendous teams. I mean, a lot of those teams could easily turn it around this year. So, um, any other news? Let's hit on some other really quick training camp news before we wrap it up. CD Lamb hype. This is gonna be this is on our notes for every single show. Hype yeah. up CD Lamb. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Oh, it's your well, guy. Hype he's up. the guy who so far in training camp has been making all the highlight reel catches. Odell Beckham one handers in the back of the end zone. Generally appears to have just been mossing everybody. I so CD Lamb. I can't remember if I actually like officially put this on record, but CeeDee Lamb, I think, was my number one receiver last year, even though Jerry Judy is where my heart belongs. Like, I love Jerry Judy, thought his, um, thought his route running would translate immediately, but CeeDee Lamb was like the safer bet. He was just good at everything, you know, and I think generally that's probably what you're going to do if you go for a first-round pick. Take the guy that you're pretty sure is going to be really good versus the guy that you love because of his route running are pretty certain will be at least capable in the NFL, but you have questions about, you know, can he do the uh, contested catch stuff and blah, blah, blah. So I had them as like one and one A, I think, but I th I'm pretty sure I had CD Lamb as my number one. Anyway, we've sort of lost in all this after the rookie years. Justin Jefferson was incredible, and it's like, well, he's the best guy from that draft class. I still would not 
overlook the possibility. Still early. Right. right. I would not at all overlook the possibility that this year that becomes C.D. Lamb. Um, and that he, he remember last year, like you've got Amari Cooper, you've got Michael Gallup, two fairly established guys, and with the lack of preseason and this new offense in flux and blah, blah, C.D. Lamb essentially got sort of pigeonholed and shoved into the slot, played 90-something percent of his snaps there. This was your role. I would not overlook a giant expansion of his role you know, overtakes Gallup to some degree. He in also terms had of, he had Andy Dalton for most of the season. Yeah, ben and his for a game. and his his like production fell off a cliff the second yeah. Andy Dalton came in, and he was stuck and, with those guys. And CD looked like the thing I liked about him, and the reason why I think he was the better all around receiver was that he looked like he could do more things on the outside. And as we've said about the slot, I think the slot is more. If you're a good number one receiver and you get moved to the slot, right. that is a cheat code to to production. There are you know skill sets that perform well in the slot but for a guy like cd lamb it was a cheat code to production i think he could be productive on the outside or in the slot so this year i would expect him to be dallas's number two receiver he'd like essentially overtake michael gallup he could overtake amari cooper this is what i was about to say right not just that but he could overtake amari cooper in production but amari is still going to draw the number one corner for a while right so it's like a double boost where you actually become the number one threat in dallas but there's a lag time before you're treated that way so amari cooper is still going to be drawing the jalen ramseys of the world while you get to go up against the number two corner because people haven't yet caught up to the fact that actually you're the biggest threat in this offense so what i'm saying is that i would not be at all surprised if the cd lamb hype translates to reality and he just goes to the moon this year uh the one other piece of news that i wrote down jordan hicks this is big news here oh yeah cardinals linebacker asking for a trade because he's not going to start didn't that happen weeks ago yeah but it's just still news like months ago like when they drafted the guy that was going to start it was pretty clear that Jordan Hicks was not. I think he just clarified. He just clarified it. This he clarified it this week that <laughs> the, it's because the he phone knows has he's not, not been started. ringing. To reiterate, I am wanting a trade. Yeah, I think he was just reiterating why. Okay, he wants a trade because Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins yes. are in there. So um, it's another one of those things where, like, I look at the depth chart. And I'm like, awesome, that's cool. They've got you know Hicks is a good player it's and like, Collins is a good player and Simmons yeah. is a good player. It's all going to work, but then they want out. It's like the. Um, Howard thing, right? It's just really hard to maintain rosters. We talk all the time about, you know, constantly keep loading up at a, at a specific position because it makes you really strong and have incredible depth there. But actually what it does is give you the contingency for when one of those guys gets pissed off and wants out because you don't, you can't keep them all as the best paid player at their position or group. So when you stack up a position group, a guy like Xavier Howard is going to want out. A guy like Jordan Hicks is going to want out. It's just insanely difficult to stockpile talent in today's NFL. And Hicks is not coming off his best seasons with the Cardinals, but if you're a linebacker needy team, you did our linebacker rankings. If you need a linebacker, Everybody Hicks, is linebacker needy, essentially. I know. He's a couple years removed, though, from being one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL, so um, could be available out there on the open market. All right, man. Power ranking show, Carson Wentz show. It's in the books. We're going to start our team previews. And then we'll make a decision. We're going to be going to three shows per week during the season, but we'll probably start at some point here in August. We're going to finalize that plan. But all of the team previews are coming up. We'll still be hitting on all of the top NFL news. And then it's game week. So this Thursday, Hall of Fame game. Boss is on the call, right? Is it a NBC game? I don't know. I think it is. Usually is. 
I got to start uh, looking at stuff before I say looking stuff. At stuff I, just, yeah. I make a lot of assumptions. Like I just, I didn't realize the last week of the preseason until I just looked at it. I just assumed it was the same, the same way they always do it. Every team plays on that Thursday night, but because the preseason essentially ends earlier than it usually does, they spread it throughout the entire weekend. So the last week of preseason is stretched out through the whole weekend. Huh. So they, there's really no preseason week four that, that they used to have. They just took week preseason week three and then. It's also so finished. stretched out now. There's almost no gap between any of them, right? It's just like this constant run of preseason games for like three weeks. I don't think there's Wednesday games, but that's what I'm saying. Almost, almost. Otherwise, it would be Tuesday and Wednesday. Otherwise, off. it would be a complete. Run. Oh, that was the best part of the 2020 <clears throat> season. Just a couple of random Tuesday and Wednesday games yeah. mixed in there. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back on Thursday with some season previews. <laughs>